It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 374, November 24th, 2013. This week, all right, I lied about not being here this week, but it was an honest lie. A look at a remarkable learning resource, which is right for you, IMAP or POP3. iGoogle is gone and IG Home is here. And in short circuits, the FCC considers allowing cell phones during flight. Amazon challenges Netflix. And really, next week is a bye week. Yeah, last week I said I wouldn't be here this week because of Thanksgiving, but apparently my calendar was a bit out of sync with the standard U.S. calendar. So I'm here this week, but gone next week. And a really cool topic this week. You can send your kids or yourself to the Khan Academy. Maybe you've heard of Khan Academy. If not, I'm going to fix that right now. Solomon Khan is a smart guy. He's a graduate of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the Harvard Business School. As I said, he's a smart guy. But he's also an excellent teacher. And in 2006, he created Khan Academy, the tagline, completely free forever. The stated mission is to provide a free, world-class education for anyone, anywhere. Khan explained how all this works in a TED Talk in 2011. I have a link to that talk from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I hope you take a few minutes out to take a look at it. Khan was born in New Orleans. His father was from Bangladesh, his mother from India. He earned a B.S. in mathematics and a B.S. in electrical engineering and computer science and a master's degree in electrical engineering and computer science from MIT. Then he earned an MBA from Harvard Business School. I may have mentioned this before. He's a really smart guy. In 2004, Khan began tutoring a cousin in mathematics via the Internet. Other relatives asked for similar help, and he started posting videos to YouTube. The videos were popular. And in 2009, Khan resigned as a hedge fund analyst at Connective Capital Management to focus on the tutorials. At some point, Bill Gates noticed the Khan Academy and provided some financing for it. Today, the website features hundreds of lectures on subjects ranging from mathematics and history to healthcare, physics, chemistry, and astronomy. Creating an account at Khan Academy is really easy. All you need to do is provide your name and email address and your birth date. And besides being educational, the Academy is a lot of fun. Napoleon reputedly said something like this, A soldier will fight long and hard for a bit of colored ribbon. And whether he said that or not, recognition is one of the most powerful motivating factors for humans. Intelligent educators and managers understand this, and they use it to their advantage. Khan misses no opportunity to congratulate students on their successes and to offer them an opportunity to earn even more recognitions. Earning those recognitions involves learning more about the subject at hand, of course, and then illustrating mastery of the subject by answering questions. The presentation, I think, is really well done. 
You'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website an example where a student is shown a number line ranging from about negative 11 to positive 11 and is asked to place negative 8 on the line. Do it right and you earn recognition and the right to move on to the next question. At any time, the student can click I haven't learned this yet or request a hint. Sometimes learning involves extrapolating an answer from what you already know combined with a well-placed hint. The student and the student's mentor can easily see which topics still need some work in addition to those in which the student is proficient. And there are lots of subjects. Biology, physics, astronomy, programming, and lots more. I decided to review algebra. And I found the introduction which discussed the history of algebra and the reasons why abstracting data can be useful, as well as explaining why letters are used in place of numbers, to be both useful and entertaining. I don't remember being told most of these things when I took algebra way back in the dark ages. I do remember many students asking, how am I going to use this information in the real world? And this is the kind of introduction that goes a long way toward explaining that. In addition, Sal's excitement about the subject is clear. The classroom has blackboards, and Khan's method of presentation is relaxed. He repeats key information, but he does it without seeming to be particularly repetitive. Khan Academy is funded by donations. In addition to receiving funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it also receives money from Google. Several wealthy individuals have given donations ranging from $10,000 to $150,000. So maybe that's why Khan Academy can provide all this information for free. Khan's alma mater, MIT, provides all of its classes for free online as part of the OpenCourseWare project. But you know what? Khan Academy has actually served more videos than MIT. And Khan's site has far more subscribers. This is probably due in no small part to Khan's emphasis on topics for primary and secondary school subjects. I've included on the TechBiter Worldwide website a program from Salman Khan. It's about 10 minutes long. It's one of the algebra programs. Take a look at it. I think you'll understand why these talks really are popular and why they work. weeks ago I talked about email and mentioned that there are two primary protocols, POP and IMAP, and at that time I suggested that anybody who wanted additional information about the differences between those two protocols should drop me a line and I'd go into it here. Well, that happened, so here we go. Email users can choose between two options or protocols when they set up an email program. There's POP3, Post Office Protocol, or IMAP, the Internet Mail Application Protocol. IMAP is the newer of the two, but most people are still using POP3. Newer isn't always better, though, and deciding which to use involves analyzing how you use email. POP3, and I'm just going to call it POP from now on, was designed at a time when users could be assumed to have no more than a single desktop computer. So all messages are downloaded to the desktop computer and then deleted from the mail server. 
IMAP, on the other hand, was designed for situations involving a need to work with email on multiple computers. A workstation at the office, for example, along with a desktop system at home, a laptop computer when you're traveling, maybe a tablet in there somewhere. Although an IMAP client displays messages on your computer, they are stored on the server, so you have access to all messages from any computer. Most modern email clients allow you to choose which delivery method you'd like to use. Even Gmail allows you to choose. There's the web interface, of course, but you can set up Gmail to communicate with a POP or IMAP client on your computer. POP is the traditional method of dealing with email, but we're now more than a dozen years into the 21st century, and most of us have good, if not yet ubiquitous, access to the Internet. That is often the argument made in favor of dropping POP and switching to IMAP. The primary benefit IMAP offers is the ability to read messages, old or new, on any device with an email application. But because all messages are stored on the server, they are inaccessible whenever you have no internet access. The good news is that you're able to mix and match these protocols. IMAP on some devices, POP on others. Neither is perfect. Both have advantages, both have disadvantages. The one you choose for any given device will depend on how you use that device to collect and read your email. And yes, this is a per-device setting. You might choose POP for home use, an IMAP on a notebook computer or a tablet. If you use a smartphone to read and respond to email, you're almost certainly using IMAP. IMAP allows you to view just the header information without downloading the entire message, so you can ignore large messages until later. And unlike the default for POP, IMAP leaves all messages on the server until you delete them, so you can read the same message on many devices. POP can be set up to allow this, too. If something serious happens to your computer, your IMAP messages will still be on the server. IMAP is also a good choice for portable computers with limited disk space. POP downloads all messages from the server to your computer, and that makes it possible for you to read messages at your convenience, whether you're connected to the Internet or not. In most cases, an email client set up to use POP will delete messages from the server. If your email provider charges for storage, this could be a consideration. It is possible to set up a POP client to leave messages on the server, and that's what some people do if they have one or more portable devices, but they still want to retain all messages on a central system. For example, a notebook computer and a tablet might be set to use POP but leave messages on the server, while the home-based desktop system also uses POP, but it deletes messages from the server after downloading them. So the decision between POP and IMAP isn't really an either-or decision. Just think about how you want to use email, where you want the full message base to be stored, and how you want to be able to access your messages. You might find the best choice involves IMAP on some devices and POP on others. In 2005, Google launched its personalized homepage service. It was later renamed iGoogle, and then it was discontinued on the 1st of November this year. Google had announced plans to terminate the service a year ago, so developers who wanted to create an application to replace it had plenty of time to do so.
IG Home became available, and it's proving to be an excellent replacement. Google announced the termination of iGoogle on its blog in July 2012. The termination of iGoogle and several other services were blamed on what Google called the unforeseen evolution of web and mobile apps and the erosion of the need for the site. Shortly after the announcement in mid-2012, IG Home promoted itself as the successor, and the feature set made it an appealing choice. The tabbed interface makes it easy to organize information by category. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, I'll show you how I've set mine up with a Home tab, a Technology tab, and a News tab. The main tab includes date and time display and some weather information for several cities. This illustrates the point that it's possible to create more than one copy of any given widget, such as the Weather widget, which I repeated five times. Switching to one of the other views is accomplished by clicking a tab. On any given tab, you might want to change the order of the widgets. Just click and hold on the title bar and move it to wherever you want. The widget you hover over will move down as the new widget takes its place. To change a widget's settings, you'll find a small E in the upper right-hand corner of the widget, and from there you can specify words that appear in the header, the color of the header, color of the text in the header, the height of the widget, the width can't be controlled. And for some widgets, other settings may be modified, such as the number of items to be shown, size and color of the text, and whether you see just headlines or a headline in the first bit of text from a given report. And you can specify which tab a widget will appear in on the settings pane. When you save the settings, the widget will move to the new tab. To remove a widget, just click the X in the upper right-hand corner and it goes away. When you want to read the full text of any headline that appears in one of the IG Home widgets, click the link and a new browser tab opens. circuits between the people who think it is their God-given right to talk loudly on their cell phones anywhere and everywhere, and those who wish the previously mentioned folks would just shut up. It's not going to be a happy time in the skies. I suspect that flight attendants are not in favor of this new plan by the Federal Communications Commission. Yes, the FCC, not the FAA. The Federal Communications Commission decided this week to consider changing its rules on the use of cell phones during airline flights. Some people want to talk all the time, and other people just want the silence, such as it is, above 10,000 feet. Flight attendants are already pushing back. The FCC will discuss this at their meeting on December 12th. The use of phones during flight is opposed by flight attendants and by many passengers, but some airlines in Asia and Europe already allow the use of cell phones. Phone use would not be allowed during takeoff or landing or when the airplane is below 10,000 feet. Additionally, airlines would need to install equipment that would provide cellular service, and the installation of the equipment would not be required, so it would be a decision made on an airline-by-airline basis. FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler says current technology can provide mobile services in the air safely and reliably. And that's why the FCC will review what Wheeler calls the agency's outdated and restrictive rules. 
deal gives Amazon an advantage in its battle with Netflix. Amazon announced a deal this week to add releases of independent film company A24 to its Prime service. Prime, of course, is that service that allows customers to receive free two-day shipping on most orders and to see some streaming videos. According to the deal, motion pictures from A24 will become available on Amazon Prime soon after they become available on disc. A24 is about a year old. It has only a few films in its repertory at the moment. Spring Breakers and The Bling Ring, for example. Upcoming releases include Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal and Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. Amazon is becoming a significant threat to Netflix, although Netflix is developing some very popular original programming. Okay, and I really mean it this time. Happy Thanksgiving in just a few days. There will be no program next week. TechBiter Worldwide will return on December 8th. Honest. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website www.techbiter.com I'm Bill Blinn and if you'd like you can also send me a message from the website thanks for listening I look forward to talking with you again in a week